Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night Jaw, brought to you by the Distraction Pieces Network. The blooming marvellous podcast network that provides a wonderful platform for this here podcast, as well as many others, including the Distraction Pieces podcast with Scroobius Pip, Falling Forward with Dan Lassac, Hardcore Listing, and many, many more. What a lineup. If we were a five-a-side football team, we'd be winning everything. We'd be winning the big one down the park down the local five-a-side thing. That's how good we are. Um, yeah, this week's episode, it's been a while coming. I'm sorry for leaving you waiting. I had to do a lot of research for this episode because it is a near, dear feud slash match to my heart. So I wanted to make sure I got it as accurate as possible. Um, I know there's still going to be holes in it. And 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 I'm and I'm genuinely like fretting about it. I'm losing sleep over it, uh, but hopefully you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get into it and stuff, um, first of all, I'm, I'm I'm literally a day removed from doing the live Tuesday night draw with Jim Smallman in Manchester, following our progress show in Manchester. There's a bit of news that came out of that. I'm sure you've all seen it. Uh, let's move past that. But it was a really good. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was it was awesome, man. I, I really appreciate everyone that came out for it, and and I was thinking about releasing the episode. The audio didn't really come out properly because um, we couldn't get it set up in the way that we wanted to. And then I kind of also had the thought of I really liked it being a live experience, and I really liked it feeling a bit special for everyone that was there because it was very special to me and Jim. So I really really appreciate. It everyone that came out to that and and I know I said this loads last night but I can't thank Fab Cafe in Manchester enough absolute legends they they went above and beyond to accommodate me and then a few of them are really big wrestling fans as well so that was really really cool but Fab Cafe is really close to my heart because uh, I used to be on Fab International Radio occasionally on my mate Craig and Gaz's podcast slash uh, show there uh, I know people who work at Starburst magazine and they've got a very close affinity with anything sort of geeky slash wrestling in Manchester. So they are great people. So if you're in Manchester at any point, uh, want to go down, 
uh, grab a drink. It's a, it's a wicked little place. Make sure you go and do it. And I'm really appreciative of all their efforts. Um, talking of thanks, I actually sourced out some some help for for this episode because I needed to get some research. So first and foremost, big shout out to Benno and Arnold Furious who who are messaged about this, who turned me on to some good resources resources. Sorry, of um, old Ring of Honor stuff. Uh, I really appreciate them doing that. Uh, I use I went through a lot of JD Dunn stuff and Aria Berenstein. Bernstein, Berenstein, I think it is pronounced. Um, it's weird when you don't have to say a name. When you read a name and then you have to say it out loud and then you're like, oh, I hope we got it right. But yeah, I went back and read a lot of their stuff to make make sure there wasn't too many loopholes in the story. So uh, yeah, big shout out to all them for helping me put this episode together. Uh, and big shout out to you guys, really, for all the feedback I've had for these episodes. You seem to really be enjoying them. Hopefully you're not just saying that because you feel obligated to say that. <laughs> And you are actually enjoying it because I'm really enjoying making them. So this is going to be part one of a part tour because it's got to be a big boy. Uh, again, very much similar to the Rey Mysterio Kurt Angle match and Dean Ambrose William Regal match. The match we'll be talking about today and then the subsequent feud afterwards is available for free on YouTube. It's one of Ring of Honor's awesome throwback Thursday matches. There's loads of good stuff on that series, including matches with Kabashi, Little Kenta, uh, Misawa, and loads of other stuff, like some really good throwback Ring of Honor stuff. So if you've never seen Ring of Honor from the early days, I recommend going back and watching it because there's a lot of good stuff that I nerded out about, not necessarily at the time, because I was one of them when I was learning to train. And I was like, no, I want to be a British wrestler uh, eventually. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely worth your time to go back and watch it. I think that's pretty much all the business that, that, that needs to be done. Part two will be coming next week. Hopefully I'm going to record it today as well. Or at least start to record that part as well. So that will be coming out next week. Also putting in to, put together a few more plans for, for TNJ going forward. They've got a couple of ideas. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully I'll pin down some elusive guests that continue to be too successful and busy to come on this little podcast of mine. Right, that's the rambling done. Appreciate you, love you, word to your mother, and welcome to this week's edition of Choosing Night Short. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Welcome to the story of Brian versus Goliath. Back in 2007, the now-known Daniel Bryan was referred to as Brian Danielson and commonly referred to by the Ring of Honor audience as the best in the world. An injury at the beginning of that year, though, a shoulder tear, would bring into question if American Dragon really still was the best in the world. Surgery was planned to repair the damaged shoulder, an injury that occurred in 2006 in a match against Colt Cabana. But Danielson decided to power through and go ahead with his scheduled matchups for the year, leading to, maybe surprisingly in terms of how beaten down he was at the time, one of his best years in Ring of Honor. An undefeated streak in singles contests with only one loss coming to the hands of the very capable Kenta. Brian Danielson had fired himself back into contention for the Ring of Honor World Championship. But unlike before, there was question marks around Danielson, not only in terms of was he still the best in the world, not only in the terms of was his shoulder 100%, but because of the person that was currently holding the Ring of Honor World Championship. Trained by Akira Tawe in all Japan wrestling in the late 90s, standing at six foot three and 287 pounds, the formidable force that was Takeshi Morishima burst onto the scene in Ring of Honor. Predominantly a tag team wrestler as part of Wild 2, he had made excursions across the pond before, actually stepping foot on the British Isles for a few matchups involving a Noah tour. But this really was the first time that Morishima got to step out as a singles competitor. And the big Japanese wrestler certainly took advantage of that opportunity. Winning his debut match in 8 seconds, he would go on to face the then champion Homicide, defeating him for the championship at the 5th year festival. That victory over a Ring of Honor original and one of the most beloved champions of all time would set in motion one of the most dominant reigns in Ring of Honor history. Before there was Pete Dunne and Walter... Even before there was David Starr and Walter, on the 25th of August, 2007, at Manhattan Mayhem 2, we got Danielson versus Morishima, number one. Introducing first to my right, the challenger, from Aberdeen, Washington, weighing 185 pounds, American Dragon, Save! 
to my left from Tokyo, Japan, weighing 149 kilos, he is the Ring of Honor World Champion, Murashima Takeshi. Maybe surprisingly for uh, this series, this is match one of five in a a run of singles contests. There's tag team matches in between, and there's also other tangents coming off this story that we'll probably get into on part two. The feeling going into this match was it was somewhat of an exhibition. I mean, on the one hand, we had Danielson climbing back up to the top of the Ring of Honor roster, and on the other hand, we had a very impressive Morishima, albeit somewhat still questioned by Ring of Honor fans in terms of, was he really the guy that was going to lead Ring of Honor in 2007 into the future? Nonetheless, it was a big fight feel. And one of my favorite things that I read about in terms of how this match felt, it felt like a big time boxing match in terms of not just psychology, but atmosphere. One of the great things about Ring of Honor during this time period was that New York crowd banging on the guardrails, creating an atmosphere, whether the chance of best in the world or the brilliant chance of you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that chant actually started when they did a show in Liverpool, Olympia, thanks to Nigel McGuinness and Danielson. But you walked into this coliseum of aggression and an audience that just wanted to see the best wrestling in the world. And this is a match that absolutely promised it. But if Danielson had to prove that he was up for the fight, he'd have to suffer a lot of punishment from Morishima. Something that we saw throughout this match. Crowd here in Manhattan a little bit split in terms of who they are supporting in this bout. Right to the face with that kick. Danielson again slumped in the corner. The champion just towering over him. He basically kicked him all the way to the other side of the ring and now supporting all the body weight of Morishima. Standing on the throat and the shoulders of Brian Danielson. During this match, Morishima hits Danielson with a big boot. And it is this exact moment that would set this feud in motion. That one kick to the face, that one kick to the eye socket would lead to a cracked orbital bone and a detached retina for the American Dragon. Not only did Danielson have to grin and bear the rest of the match, but he also had the psychological damage of another injury potentially jeopardizing his 2007. The one thing that really stands out to me when I went back and watched this match is is the commentary. I remember at the time them talking about a detached retina's cracked orbital bones it's terminology that i'd never heard in professional wrestling before weirdly enough i'd later actually go into the world of optometry and work in a lot of opticians so retinas was something that i actually got a little bit more familiar with but it's the terminology and the execution of it that really makes it feel different this situation this this injury angle if you want to call it that is something that's still argued about Morishima charges with a big boot to the side of the face. Now that one may have caught Danielson near the eye. You see him wincing in pain. He's got that left eye closed and he goes right to the face. Danielson in a lot of pain in the corner. What makes 
pro wrestling great sometimes, especially in matches like this, is not knowing the truth. Now, the, the, if I was being really brutally honest, the likelihood of injury or not, it's the outcome of the match that maybe is the most surprising. Morishima obviously beat Homicide to win the championship, having matches as well along the way in dominating fashion, but for him to finally beat the ace of Ring of Honor, it really cemented him as the guy in Ring of Honor. It also brought up questions again of, is Danielson still capable? I mean, he's had a shoulder tear and now an eye injury. Were we seeing the end of the American Dragon in Ring of Honor and the start of the new generation? The seeds of doubt around Danielson's well-being really, I think, humanized him to an audience that for a lot of time were quite split. I mean, I personally remember not really liking Danielson back in the day. Maybe it was young and foolish and didn't really appreciate how great he was because going back and watching him, he was so far ahead of his time. But then there was also the Ring of Honor loyalists who absolutely loved him. But the thing in this matchup and in this feud, I really think it brought a human aspect to someone that had been put on a pedestal since day one and the early years of Ring of Honor. It really brought him back down to being a human being. And I think it's fascinating because to my knowledge... With maybe the exceptions of, of Samoa Joe as champion, there was never really this monster like Morishima in this company. Joe obviously is not only a big dude that can do a lot of power moves, he's very agile and very versatile in the way he wrestles. But in Morishima, we had this old-fashioned power wrestler who would take your head off with lariats, drop you on your head with power bombs, and out-muscle and out-power all that stood in front of him. Even Danielson in this match doesn't really wrestle like Brian Danielson. He has to suffer pain and then take pot shots. When he grounds Morishima, he tries to slap in holds. I mean, even going for the cattle mutilation amongst other submissions to no joy. A submission move and a technique and a style that had made Brian Danielson a world champion. But nothing, it would seem, would be able to dethrone the current world champion. On the 15th of September 2007, the rematch was set. In less than a month, Brian Danielson would have a chance at not only revenge, but maybe redemption in the eyes of the fans. After all, this is the Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, the ace of Ring of Honor, and surely he wasn't going to fall at the second time of asking. It is time now for the ROH World Title Match that everyone has been waiting for. Brian Danielson versus Takeshi Morishima. Danielson earned his number one contender spot in a great matchup back at Driven, defeating Nigel McGuinness in a number one contender's matchup. Morishima has been dominant, winning both of his pay-per-view title defenses against top challengers in under four minutes. And here comes the former ROH World Champion, American Dragon, Brian Danielson. He is the man that held the belt for 15 months and defeated all challengers, including Nigel McGuinness, Kenta, Roderick Strong, Samoa Joe, Lance Storm, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Naomichi Marafuji, and many others. One of the most striking aspects about this match aesthetically is Brian Danielson marched into the ring with an eye patch, something that could so easily be seen as quite hammy, 
now, but at the time, it really set a tone for this feud. The current ROH World Champion Takeshi Morishima is on his way to the ring. He proved his brutality by almost costing Brian Danielson his vision just a few weeks ago. Morishima has been world champion since February and has survived a rugged travel schedule back and forth from Japan, being hounded by the Japanese media, in addition to every challenger put in his path from Tokyo all the way to Boston. Morishima's combination of power, size, and agility has made him the most dominant champion in Ring of Honor history, and he is faced tonight with a very angry and extremely determined Brian Danielson. Much like the first contest, Danielson tries to chop down the monster. In the early exchanges, it seems that Morishima is going to get the upper hand. But a moment when Morishima is on the outside, throws Danielson back in the ring, he makes the mistake of turning his back on the American Dragon. A suicide dive to the outside from the visually impaired Danielson managed to swing the momentum back in the former champion's favour. At a point in commentary in this matchup, they say that Danielson has done something more than a handful of people have done in recent months, and that lasts longer than four minutes with the champion. The likes of BJ Whitmore, Jimmy Rave, and Adam Pearce fall into Morishima in under five minutes. Now, those squash matches of sorts were dropped in there between slightly longer, more conventional main events against the likes of Shingo, Nigel McGuinness, and Claudio Castanoli. And I think it was really that mix-up of unexpectancy with a Morishima match that, looking back, really added layers. I remember at the time, a few people rolling their eyes at them really short matchups because some of them actually happened on pay-per-view. But hindsight is obviously 2020. No pun intended. Sorry, Brian. It really set apart Morishima from everyone else in Ring of Honor at the time. You see the eye patch covering that damaged left eye, protecting the detached retina, the fractured orbital bone. Uh, that was decimated by Morishima in that tremendous matchup in Manhattan. Morishima, though, to his credit, has claimed he will not go after the eye here tonight. He wants to retain the world title without attacking the injury. As the match wore on, going deeper and deeper into it, Danielson started to wear down the monster, grounding him and then stretching him at any opportunity he could. The problem was, Morishima still had enough in the tank to muscle his way out of several submissions. A cattle mutilation that didn't get the job done and a back and forth that led us into our closing stretch. And then, it would happen. Takeshi Morishima would disregard the code of honour to hang on to his world championship. He just took the eye patch and turned it away and took off his head! He pelted him in the eye as well. Off comes the eye patch. Small package. Two and three quarters. Danielson, backdrop driver. Absorbs a second backdrop driver from Takeshi Morishima. I thought he was going to stay away from that eye, but oh, forearm strikes now. Going to work on Brian Danielson. Peppering his eye. Come on, Morishima. Unmerciful. Elbows. He's, Brian Danielson's sight is in jeopardy here. Continuing to go to work on the eye of Brian Danielson. Morishima continued elbows. And oh, Paul Turner has no choice but to put a stop to this match. Looking out for the well-being 
Now, in 2019, it's quite a common thing to see referee stoppages, something mimicking closer to MMA, UFC, whatever you want to call it. But again, this finish felt different. Not only did Morishima rip off the eye patch, not only did Morishima hit the backdrop driver, the move that had put everyone away, but the fact he opted to ground and pound Danielson into the mat, targeting the eye, added such an excellent way to put heat into this match. There was no DQs, there was no weapons, there was no escalation too quick. It was the subtlety of what Morishima did. And I think pacing's really important in this feud, as, as we'll go into in part two. The first two matches happened within weeks of each other. A exhibition slash dream match in the midst of the Ring of Honor Noah relationship. I mean, we'd already seen Kabashi, we'd seen Misawa, we'd seen Kenta. Ring of Honor had been over to Tokyo itself and had a cross promotion with them. So there was doubts when Morishima was champion because to Ring of Honor fans, Morishima was an outsider that didn't have dates booked in. And then he wins the championship. There was a real threat of Morishima winning the championship, going back to Japan, and the fans in America never seeing that title again. Now, if you're a fan of especially all Japan wrestling, that is such a clever way of turning a common trope, especially in the 90s Japanese wrestling, on its head. That fear of the foreigners, of the likes of Stan Hansen, the Funks, Bruiser Brody, coming in, whoever it was, and taking that championship away from the likes of Misawa or Jumbo or whoever it was, was really the basis of of what made All Japan All Japan in the 80s going into the 90s. And I think this is why wrestling, when it's done great, is great. Because you might not appreciate the subtleties at the time, but when you go back in history and look at it, Okay, there's nostalgia to it, but there's also that moment of, oh, I see the full picture now, and I understand absolutely what they were doing with. I mentioned it in the Ambrose Regal episode. You know, sometimes you fill in the blanks, sometimes you make it more than it was, but, I mean, that's the beauty of storytelling. Not only are you telling the story, but you're colouring in the details, and also allowing an audience to colour in the details. These two matchups. If they were on a show anywhere in the world in 2019, they would absolutely feel like they fitted. But what's staggering is that this match or these matches happened 12 years ago. I remember talking to Nigel McGuinness about this when I hosted one of his screenings for his documentary. And I said then that surely that's going to be the proudest moment of his tenure there, the likes of Claudio Castanoli, the likes of Brian Daniels and the likes of Nigel McGuinness really starting a style that is now commonly referred to as wrestling, not just on the independents, but in WWE and beyond. The fact that this small group of guys really mapped out what the future of wrestling would be, it's it needs to be celebrated, it needs to be remembered. And hopefully you guys now want to go back and watch that first match. Like I said earlier on, it is available on YouTube for free. It's part of the Ring of Honor Throwback Thursday series. 
and it is well worth your time. Um, the show is Manhattan Mayhem 2. The date was 25th of August 2007. Sticking into Google, sit back, relax, and enjoy. So that's part one done. Hopefully that was comprehensive. Um, I feel like we've only just had the appetizer. We're going to have the main course in part two because that's when it's going to get a little bit more meaty, a little bit more fleshed out, and we're going to really get into the nitty-gritty of this feud, this rivalry. Also, part two is where certain characters re-enter the fray. If you enjoyed this week's episode, let me know. Uh, I'm at Emrich's host on Twitter. Drop me a tweet. Like I said, watch this matchup. There is loads of Ring of Honor as well on that Thursday throwback stuff uh, available on YouTube. If it's something that passed you by, whether if you're young or you weren't really watching independent wrestling then, uh, once again, I really encourage you to go and watch it. And also, once again, thank you so much for supporting this podcast. It really, really is appreciated. I'll see you next week for part two of Brian versus Goliath. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.